0: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. A few weeks back, we we talked about the topics and the reasons why students are leaving the faith, talking about science and the shallowness of Christian teaching and those sort of issues. Uh, but the bigger question, or a different question on a similar on the same topic, is what are ways in which parents and churches are actually preparing individuals to lose their faith? Is this actually happening? And so joining me today to discuss this idea of the way that parents and churches are preparing individuals to lose their faith is Dr. John Marriott. Now, he serves in the philosophy of religion and ethics department at Biola University. He has two master's degrees from Biola, one included in philosophy and religion at Talbot, and his PhD in intercultural studies from Cook School of Intercultural Studies. And he's written his PhD dissertation on this idea of deconversion. So, John, first of all, thanks for coming on the show and talking with me.
1: Oh, Ryan, uh, thank you. I'm really uh, happy to be here, and uh, thanks for the invite. I look forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, so really quick, and this is what we're going to spend the time talking about, but is it really true that churches are preparing people, individuals, to lose their faith?
1: Well, um, it, it is in one sense. Um, I guess it depends on how we want to define lo- losing faith, and um, it's probably important to say at the outset that I come at this from very much from below not much not not from above and what i mean by that is um sometimes when people uh raise this question or they they talk to me about this they you know you know did, did these people really lose their faith and did they go from being christians to non-christians and it always depends on what you mean by that if you mean yeah did they identify as a Christian? Did they show some, uh, some, some some sincere interest? Were they intellectually convinced at a certain point? Um, and then did they leave? Yes. And and so from a sociological perspective, are people losing their faith and are, are parents and churches playing a role in bringing that about? I think that the answer to that is clearly yes. Are we talking about people who were genuinely converted who 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 really know the lord and um and have they ended up walking away from their faith um that's a question that i don't really address and i kind of leave unanswered because that's a theological question that i can never really know the answer to um regarding whether or not someone was genuinely born again so theologically i come at it and say i tend to think that people who are born again and really are regenerate and in the body of christ uh will will remain there although i do uh acknowledge the fact that there are uh, a lot of good believers who have a different theology on this and it's a debated issue and there are lots of people who will say i sincerely sincerely believed and i was living it out and now i don't believe anymore and i'm not living it out and so uh the, the answer to the question i guess in short is is it is it true Well, from a sociological perspective, yes, it is true. Lots of things parents and churches who are well-meaning and well-intentioned, unfortunately, do set up folks for a crisis of faith that ultimately leads to them leaving their faith. Whether or not these are folks that were truly born again, I don't know. But I don't think it matters because I think that we really still want to do everything that we can to help people who know the Lord grow in their faith without putting stumbling blocks before them. So, does that kind of answer the question?
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a great, I think, summary and overview of what we're going to be talking about. And uh, this is actually, we're, we're going to be discussing uh, John's book, A Recipe for Disaster Four Ways Churches and Parents Prepare Individuals to Lose Their Faith. And how they can instill a faith that endures. And so this uh, interview is actually only going to cover the first part uh, and the uh, ways—what is deconversion and the ways that uh, churches and parents are preparing individuals to lose their faith, Uh, because this is actually uh, the first part of a four-part series interview. Uh, The next two weeks— I'm going to be talking with Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace on their new book, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. And so we're going to look at the challenges the world is presenting, and then we're going to come back To Dr. Marriott, and we are going to discuss the last part of how then can we instill a faith that endures. So this is going to be a four-week series uh, looking at really training up and preparing and instilling a lasting faith in Christians. And so uh, those are the two books that we're going to be looking at, specifically uh, John's book, A Recipe for Disaster. Now, so John, before we get into this, uh, you are from Canada. I am, yes. Now, uh, I believe that you are a Maple Leafs fan, is that correct? uh yes i am a maple leafs
1: fan um i have uh i'm going to um have them be pallbearers at my funeral so that they can let me down one more time <laughs>
0: uh because so, uh, so you don't have high hopes for today's game it's 2-2 they're doing all right no i think that they will fold like a lawn chair <laughs> oh man well that game is this afternoon and uh my avalanche are in it their game five is tonight oh. they're up 3-1 so yeah, it's looking a little because- bit better
1: you guys are doing great. Yeah.
0: All righty. Well, now the, the actual topic that we're talking about is the idea of deconversion. So uh, you kind of already answered this. And uh, this was a question that came in on Instagram from Brad. And, and he wrote in and, and and you kind of mentioned, and he. but I just want to point out. He said, does uh, he have an, uh, data showing the loss of faith? Perhaps these are people that never really had faith to begin with. And so you kind of mentioned that's not really the topic you're looking at, is proving whether they were true believers or not. You kind of, in the introduction, lean towards the idea that uh, true regenerate believers are not going to fall away. Um, but why is this idea of deconversion still important to talk about if they were never true believers and then lost their faith?
1: Well, the, the, the question that is asked if whether or not there's any data um, it, on whether or not these were, were true believers, it, I'm not sure how you could ever empirically determine that. It's a spiritual regeneration that we're we're talking about, and whether you can measure that is hard to know. Um, I, I would think that I think it's actually impossible to know. Uh, there are some folks who will say, well, you know, you could look at the fruit in their life, but I could introduce you to dozens of people who had what looked to be real fruit in their life we're we're not talking about a person who made a, a commitment to to Jesus in high school and then uh you know later on went to university and uh after a couple years of living sort of a quasi christian life came to the conclusion that they didn't buy the whole thing anymore we're, I, I'm talking about people who were seminary trained people who were in the pastorate, who were serving the Lord, who were expositing the scriptures every Sunday who uh, had lived uh, a long uh, a Christian life you know long obedience in the same direction Eugene Peterson uh, title there um, and and then things happened and they came to the place where they felt as though it wasn't even a choice that they had it's not as though they said oh i don't believe this anymore they lost the ability to believe in what they once did in the same way that they you might lose the ability to believe in Santa Claus like you just can't make yourself believe it uh, beliefs are somewhat uh, um, oh, what's the right word uh, non voluntary right sometimes we just we're presented with evidence and we find ourselves inclined to believe something so how I would ever determine or how you could ever get any data to determine whether these people were born again in a spiritual sense is is kind of beyond me I'm not sure how you, you could do that but to answer your follow up question, which is why does this matter um, I, I think it matters because we still want to do, even though we don't we don 't know um, whether or not our children, even though they 've made a profession, really have been born again. We want to do everything that we can to instill in them a faith that will flourish. We have a responsibility as parents and church leaders to try and raise up um, uh, folks in the faith in in wise ways in ways that Uh, doesn't that don't cause them to stumble in ways that will uh, encourage them to grow and to become more attracted to the person of Jesus not less attracted to and and so even if this is in some ways a a moot point that it's not real believers who are losing their faith um, we still want to instill we still want to put into practice uh, disciplines and approaches to discipling folks that will help them to grow rather than putting stumbling blocks in front of them.
0: That's good. Yeah, absolutely. So with this topic of deconversion, um, what led you to this idea? What led you to be to research this for your dissertation?
1: Uh, I was doing something else. I was looking at a, a totally different uh, topic. And one night I was doing research on that and I came across a website and it was a website of – testimonies of people who once identified as Christians and who no longer did. And and it was uh, sometimes we hear, you know, like uh, you, people share their testimony in church. Well, these were people who were sharing their testimony on the Internet, and there were thousands of them. And then I started looking after reading a number of them, and I started looking and I found more web pages and more web pages. And I started to realize there are a lot of people out there who – are dissatisfied with what they once believed, for whatever reason that is, and they no longer identify as Christians, and they're willing to tell people their story. And then when I started looking into it even further, I started to find that there's some research and some statistics on this that are really quite shocking uh, about the number of people who are walking away from church and then those who just simply say, I renounce my faith. And, And that got me really interested in pursuing the reasons why that happens and what the process looks like and what, what the impact is on the other side of losing one's faith.
0: And so you you lay out those reasons in your book, A Recipe for Disaster. And so uh, what do you mean by A Recipe for Disaster? And What does this look like?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Thanks for asking that one. Because I do think it's important to note that people don't lose their faith for one reason or another. Sometimes people say, hey, what's the reason— the most popular one that you hear for why people don't believe, and and although I think that they can be identified and and, and listed, the most popular ones uh, that people raise, it's much more complicated than that, right? Mm-hmm. And so a recipe has three aspects of it: there are ingredients, there's preparation, and then there's the cooking environment. And and, and deconversion, I uh, use that metaphor to talk about uh, people losing their faith. Uh, when you look at folks who leave their faith, they bring with them certain there are, there are certain temperaments, there are certain uh, personality traits that tend to statistically be more represented in people who lose their faith. So uh, as far as ingredients go in the recipe for disaster, the ingredients are the, the personality traits, the psychological makeup and the personal values of people who eventually go about losing their faith. And so there's a handful of those, uh, probably about 10 or 11 different D- just different criteria that you can take a look at and say, is this person highly open to experience? Is this person above averages in, t- in intelligence? Is this person uh, have a low tolerance for authoritarian leadership? Does this person have a high need for control? Does this person have a high need for new sensations? And and you list all of those out. And, and if you start checking off enough of those boxes, then statistically a uh, person who uh, does that is more likely To lose their faith but they're definitely not determined to do so because the second aspect of any recipe is the preparation phase what you do with the ingredients and just as though you just as as you can uh, poorly prepare uh, ingredients in a recipe you can also poorly prepare uh, folks who are um, underneath your your leadership whether that's in your home or whether it's at uh, church and and that would be the heart of the book in, in, because it's the one aspect that we have real control over as parents and church leaders, how we go about discipling or socializing people into the faith. And so that's where the heart of the book is. It's about the poor preparation practices that tend to really push people who have a, have a certain psychological makeup towards deconverting. And then the last aspect of any recipe is the cooking environment. And, uh, once you've taken the ingredients and you prepared them, you, uh, put them in some sort of environment where they're heated and there, there's some pressure applied. And that would correspond in the recipe to disaster to our present cultural moment, which is increasingly secular, which is completely, uh, disenchanted, which is, uh, becoming more hostile to Christianity, which is becoming, which, which sees science and technology as the final arbiter of truth. All of those make the Christian claims uh, much more challenging for for folks to to hold to in a really robust way. So that's the that's that's generally the the recipe for disaster: ingredients, preparation, and in a cooking environment. So if you have somebody who is uh, high in the um, deconversion profile, you prepare them really poorly, and then you send them out into a world where they are going to be um, uh, sort of cooked or baked uh, in such a way that uh, they're not inclined to see Christianity as true for cultural uh, reasons and social reasons, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, and we're going to spend most of our time, uh, the rest of the show, and we could probably spend an hour talking about each aspect, but looking at the four ways in which you present, uh, that that we're preparing uh, students and people to lose uh, their faith. Now, before we get into those four ways— um, what are, you, you normally hear deconversion is like 60 to 80 percent, you know, what is, what do the numbers look like to you of, of how many people are walking away from Christianity, and, and what are they deconverting to?
1: Yeah, so there would be different studies that would all point in the same direction. There are studies from the Southern Baptists, there's studies from the uh, Assemblies of God, there's LifeWay Research Studies, Barna Studies, and they all point in the same direction, which is that primarily young people— Um, are leaving their faith in uh, record numbers. The numbers just continue to increase. I think that there was a study that came out not long ago by, I I think it was Pew, the the Religious uh, Landscape Survey, and and they're saying that upwards of maybe 25% of the population of the United States is uh, considered themselves a nun, which as you know, is just someone who has no religious identification whatsoever. And within that percent population, within the 25%, uh, if that statistic is correct, about 11% of those, uh, or maybe a little higher, would be people who say, I don't believe in God at all, like they're, I'm, I'm an, uh, an atheist or maybe an atheist agnostic. So. The numbers are going up. Uh, if you were to if you were to look at them on a chart, you would see that they've really increased significantly. The the um, trajectory has really increased over the last ten to fifteen years. A lot of that corresponds to the influence of the internet. There's a study that came out from MIT that's a little bit hard to explain in a soundbite, but um, demonstrates a correlation between uh, loss of faith and uh, the internet and how much time people spend online. And mm. probably that's because in the past um atheists and agnostics were were folks that were uh, were a fairly significant minority and didn't have a voice no atheist publishing houses no atheist and television networks no atheist television uh, shows no atheist radio networks or even radio programs v- very few of these things uh, no no atheist meet up groups but with the advent of the internet uh it's allowed a thousand atheist apologists and internet um, meetup groups and resources to bloom and that has allowed people who have only ever heard one side of the story before to hear the other side of the story and the other side of the story is that maybe christian uh you know christianity isn't uh, such a good thing i it it's got a pretty uh checkered past and uh you know there's a lot of questions about the reliability of the bible and lots of problems with it and uh, these arguments for the existence of god that you heard that you think are so strong you have never heard the other side now i'm going to present to you the other side and uh, I think it's a real challenge to um, uh, the faith of a, of a lot of people when they hear the other side. So I, I think that that's a big part of uh, what's going on.
0: And I remember, I think I've shared this on the show before, but I remember talking to my dad and kind of asking him and, and him mentioning, you know, growing up in a very small town uh, down in Texas where you you go to the, the church school and you go to the church and all your friends are part of the church. It's, it's a very isolated uh, environment where you're not aware of the arguments against. You're not aware of kind of those different aspects. And that's kind of what you mentioned there. And so uh getting into your your four ways uh that w- that we kind of um cause people to uh un- not prepare them well is one that you say is over prepared. Now that sounds like that's a good thing to prepare them so much they're over prepared. But what do you mean by being over prepared?
1: Over prepared refers to uh being over uh b- being um burdened with the necessity of having to affirm uh like a boatload of truths that you have to hold to to be a christian and if you don't hold to these things and you don't affirm them then you're really compromising and if you compromise then that's a, a major problem and you're not really a christian because you're not affirming what the bible says so the, so let me give you some examples um I, I grew up in a pretty conservative environment i grew up in an environment that i look back on with with, with really great fondness the, the people there were wonderful i i got a great um Uh, biblical uh, education in my church. And and I don't think of anyone specific when I, when I say these things, but I somehow got the idea that um, to be a Christian means to believe everything that the Bible says. And, and and my church has told me everything that the Bible has said. And therefore I can't justify compromise because how could you ever compromise on a biblical truth? So Even though I started to question and wonder whether or not some of the things I was learning were actually true, I felt as though that I had to still affirm these things. Otherwise, I was no longer being faithful and I wasn't a Christian. Now, these would not just be things like the Trinity, the deity of Jesus, the resurrection, God is creator. They would be things like um, women needed to cover their heads in church you couldn't get a tattoo. Dancing was wrong. Premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture—those were beliefs that you had to hold to. I—I I, I wasn't even sure whether or not the Baptists down the street from our church were really Christians because they didn't hold to the same version of Christianity that I did.
0: And they were playing cards on a Friday night. Oh yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they might even play cards on Sunday.
1: So it—it it was um, so overprepared is when. When we give folks the idea that what we're giving them is pure, pristine Christianity in total, as opposed to our understanding and our version of Christianity to the best that we understand it, and saying to them, you need to affirm this whole boatload of truths – and you can't ever change your mind on these because as soon as you do, you're not really being Christian anymore. And so if you come to a different conclusion on young earth, literal six-day creation, well, then you might as well not even be a Christian anymore. Because yeah. if the Bible doesn't teach young earth, literal six-day creation, then how, when it says that it does, then how do we know that it says anything true? How can we believe anything that it says? If you don't take it literally, if you don't take it in this sort of wooden fashion, then you're not really being a Christian. And um, a lot of folks go off to university and equate the idea that if I become convinced that evolution occurred, then I can't be a Christian anymore. Because somewhere along the line, they were told that the existence of God and the process of evolution are so mutually contradictory that they can't possibly coincide with one another. And so you get rid of that one you lose everything. Yeah, and so uh, that's what I mean by being over prepared.
0: And, and as you mentioned in your book, it's kind of like a house of cards. One card gets taken out, it just falls to the ground. And, and I found two different responses from students when I present this kind of idea: is I'll go to summer camp and I'll teach on on the age of the earth. I'll just teach on you know intelligent design or, or creation or something, and then they ask about the age of the earth, and I say, you know, I think it's possible that it, a, a Christian interpretation is a progressive old Earth model. And I have some students, one girl in particular, that just was furious with me, that I would possibly hold to the fact that God could have created the universe uh, using more of a natural mechanism that he set up, that he prepared, that he organized and designed, rather than simply everything just poofing into existence. Other people, which is the vast majority, are extremely relieved. I've had so many students that go, Oh my goodness! Because this, this, they just see this as such a huge conflict where they're being taught all these things in their in their classes at school, and then something different in church, and it, and the church is saying you can't fudge one single bit on this issue, and it just creates this massive conflict inside their minds that that really wears at them, and they're so relieved when they hear there's another option.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. And and so what we've done is, and I think that there's a sincerity in this. I think it's an unwitting. Um, Uh, Naivety in this is when we think that perhaps we when we don't realize that there are other interpretations throughout the history of the church that have um, done uh, have a high view of the Bible but don't have the same view and same interpretation that we have on certain issues. And we're not necessarily aware that they exist, right? We come from a small town in Texas. We don't have experiences of other folks. We don't know church history. And so we think that this is Christianity that we're passing on. And really what it is, is it's the the essence of Christianity, you know, the creedal form of it, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, those kinds of really essential truths, along with a whole bunch of other truths that we raise to the level of essentials, without realizing that we're doing it. And then the whole edifice becomes this house of cards Jenga tower that if you pull one out, the whole thing collapses because it's an all-or-nothing proposition. You've got to be all-in in your commitment to Jesus, which, by the way, I think that you do. You should be all-in in your commitment to Jesus. Yeah. But the question is, do you have to be all-into an interpretation and a theology and a version or a spin or a take on Christianity, or is there some
0: Oh, no, I think I just lost you. There we go. And, and ask questions. All right, you just so, cut out a little bit, but you're back in, so. Okay, great. Yeah, so for those listening, the Skype call is kind of jumping in and out just a little bit. I, I want to move on uh, because, again, we're running out of time, and this is sure. just so good. So encourage people to get your book. Uh, but number two, I think, is, is probably what is, is focused on most often by Christian apologists is the underprepared aspect. Uh, how would you describe this one really quick?
1: So, really quick, underprepared is when we uh, send folks out into the world with a Sunday school faith that has lots of university questions. And um, we live in a culture that is not populated with um, the dominant plausibility structures of the Middle Ages. Now, that's a mouthful, but what I mean by this, if you would have grown up in the Middle Ages, or if I would have grown up in the Middle Ages, We wouldn't have run into anybody else who would have had a different worldview than us. We would have been supported in what we believe about our faith by almost every institution that surrounded us because the church governed everything. So plausibilities for those... Sort of public groups and structures that give your worldview legitimacy, that legitimize it, that make you think that it's plausibly true. When you live in a culture that is pluralistic, that there are all kinds of different stories out there that are vying for the to to narrate the world for you, as well as a culture that's increasingly becoming secular, in that all of the institutions and social, specifically social institutions, need to sort need to be uh, abandon any kind of bias in favor of a a secular worldview, um, uh, transcendence kind of abhors a vacuum. Things will rush in there. And um, the world that we live in now doesn't look almost anything like the world of the Bible. So you go from Sunday, hearing about floating axe heads maybe or talking donkeys or resurrections or a guy who has long hair and because of that, he can whip like a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. And then you go to UCLA and you're in your micro, you know, uh, biology class or your quantum mechanics class and you're talking about landing a rover on Mars and, you know, decoding the human DNA and all those things seem to be so far apart that we don't necessarily... They do a really good job of sending folks out into a world um, and helping them bridge that gap. So they're kind of unprepared to think biblically in an increasingly um, unbiblical world.
0: And this is where you hear the stories of students just getting attacked in their college classes, of their faith just being shaken. Not just uh, uh, what you mentioned in your book, of that this causes students to think that the, the Christianity is outdated and irrelevant. Uh, but also, you have these hard scientific facts, and you have these crazy stories. You know which one is going to just start to gain more credibility if, if not properly discussed.
1: Oh, oh, I mean for sure. I mean, do you who who are you going to believe your 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 pastor? Who and I don't mean to disparage this. Please don't sound like it's a caricature. But your pastor who thinks that the Earth is six days old. And, or is ten thousand years old was made in six days and that two naked people and a talking snake and a magic tree are the reason why there 's all of these problems in the world or are you going to you know be more inclined to believe your physics professor who 's published fifty different articles and twenty different books and has you know is, appears on CNN and uh, has uh, all this respect in the academic community are you going to stand up in your class and say yeah this is what I think happens in the Book of Genesis, that is incredibly difficult to do unless you um, are prepared to do it.
0: Now, uh, I think you, you make some really good points in your next uh, few issues that you bring up. Uh, being ill-prepared is number three and then painfully prepared – uh, number four uh, but being ill-prepared um we don't have time to really discuss these in depth so we're just gonna have to come back to these when I talk to you again uh, in a few weeks as we talk about the role that we need to play because this kind of plays into it but you, you mentioned uh in one aspect of leaving out details kind of the Christian story uh we have these songs about Noah's Ark we sing in Sunday school about how wonderful Noah's Ark was and it really leaves out the blood and the carnage and and those aspects and and Joseph you know the Jer- walls of Jericho tumbling down and what really happened and how we have a very incomplete view of Christianity. Why is it that we are not teaching the full view uh, of what it really means to be a Christian? Oh,
1: that's a million dollar question, and, and we, we only have, have... thirty seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll so come back uh, to it.
1: I think it's that's a great question, and part of it goes to the culture I think that we live in and um, that we we really don't like. Um, a lot of what goes on in the Old Testament. And um, we need to ask ourselves the question, if we actually lived in the Old Testament times, if we even lived in the Middle Ages, would we find some of God's attributes in the way that he seems to behave as offensive as we do now? And if the answer is no, then maybe the question is, how much are we being influenced by our, you know, Western secular, um, politically, uh, democratically liberal worldview? as opposed to God being the standard and the criterion for his own decisions.
0: Yeah. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up another interview in the next week or two uh, to to discuss the second part. I encourage you, go out, get Dr. Marriott's book, uh, A Recipe for Disaster, read some sections, ask some questions, send those in, and then we can discuss that on the show in a little bit. And uh, John, where can they go get your book?
1: The easiest one to get it is johnmarriott.org so john marriott marriott like the marriott hotels j-o-h-n-m-a-r-r-i-o-t-t dot org that would be the place where you can get the hardcover book um for uh, the least ex- it's least expensive there you can also get it at amazon it's a little bit more expensive but you can get the kindle version at amazon for a really good regular amazon kindle book price and so that might be the
0: best way to go about getting it john thank you so much for spending this time talking with me about your book Oh, thank you very much,
1: Ryan. I really appreciate it. Look forward to next time.
0: And make sure you follow Coffee House Questions on social media. Don't miss the live stream of the interviews next week on Facebook. Have a blessed day. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan
1: Pauly.